So unless you are truly a scholar of the Gospel of John, this passage might feel a little bit unfamiliar to you. Yes, Jesus is speaking in parables. He's got these evocative pictures of nature. He's with his disciples. He's being followed by a crowd. These things are familiar. But who are the Greeks? Why do they show up from hundreds of miles away? And why, in the midst of a crowd, does Jesus suddenly go into hiding? May God's presence be with you in the reading of this God's holy word. John chapter 12. Now, there were some Greeks among those who went up to worship at the festival, and they came to Philip, who was from Bethsaida in Galilee, with a request. Sir, we would like to see Jesus. And Philip went to tell Andrew, and Andrew and Philip went to Jesus. And Jesus replied, The hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. Very truly I tell you, unless a kernel of wheat falls to the ground and dies, it remains only a single seed. But if it dies, it produces many seeds. Anyone who loves their life will lose it, while anyone who hates their life in this world will keep it for eternal life. Whoever serves me must follow me wherever I am. My servant also will be. Then Jesus turned to the crowd. You are going to have the light with you just a little while longer. Walk with the light while you have the light before the darkness overtakes you. Whoever walks in the darkness does not know where they are going. Believe in the light while you have the light, so that you may become children of light. And when Jesus finished speaking, he left and hid himself from them. Let us pray. God, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts be holy and acceptable to you, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Kenilworth Union Church, I'm so grateful to be back after a time away on sabbatical. Uh, but one of the things that I realized is that I was gone for two months, but I really, truly haven't seen you all for 12 months. And I miss you, and I don't know what's going on in everyone's lives. And so I hope that this sermon today um, is a way toward hope for you and is a gentle peace in the midst of what's going on in the middle of your life. While I was on sabbatical, I spent a month with my parents and a month with my husband's parents. And uh, one of the things that I realized while I was gone was this, um, this family that I married into, the Lancaster household, I married into an entire new language. Now, they speak English, right? But they have this insider language that is knit together with old movie quotes and old family stories, and this southern vocabulary sourced from Tennessee and Oklahoma and Missouri, wait, Missouri, right? You know if you're from Missouri. And my favorite is this, right? If you sneeze, my father-in-law will say, scat. Yeah, scat. 
It's not the traditional bless you, or even, as my father says, gesundheit, right? He says scat. It's kind of funny and kind of weird. And thankfully, a few years ago, I happened to cross an episode from this podcast called Away With Words, and they explained the history of this southern phrase and that lots and lots of people use it, and that the long version of this is almost even better than just a standalone scat. It's scat cat, get your tail out of the butter. I really like that. So this radio show, Away With Words, is also where I came across Paul Anthony Jones' book, The Cabinet of Calm, Soothing Words for Troubled Times. And this book is the book that Bill and Christine and I are reading as an accompaniment to the Gospel of John in the season of Lent. I am grateful for this roster of soothing words in our most troubled times. The word for today is respair. And it's not too hard to parse. It's essentially the opposite of despair. If despair means the total absence of hope, respair is a fresh, reinvigorated hope. It's a recovered hope, a renewed hope. It means to have hope again. Vaccines, spring, daylight savings, grandparents hugging grandchildren. Respair hovers right there on the surface these days. But respair and despair still oscillate around one another. My friend from college just gave birth to twins and caught COVID in the hospital. The violent narrative of racism in America just got more complex and nuanced this week when six Asian American women were killed in Atlanta. Paris and Rome are on lockdown again. Global vaccination is still a long way off. Despair remains. But then again, today's long list of gratitude brings hope. A conversation with a friend brings hope. Activism brings hope. Planning for the future brings hope. Despair and respair come and go in waves. A linguist said that the limits of our language are the limits of our world. And in the deep exhaustion of the last 12 months of pandemic life, the poverty of our vocabulary grows. We call 2019 the before times, and I shudder to hear the word unprecedented ever again. Sometimes I just don't, I just don't know what to say, and maybe you feel the same. This year's sorrow, this year's grief, the crash course impact of this year's toll on our collective lives is unnameable. Now, when I don't know what to say, I read and read and read and read until I find someone's voice that meets my own. And at one point, I thought that books about other pandemics might help. So I checked out a stack of books from the library about the Spanish flu and cholera and the Black Plague. It didn't help at all. But this winter, I finally did find some semblance of solace in Kate Bowler's book, Everything Happens for a Reason and Other Lies I Loved. Kate Bowler is a theologian who was diagnosed with stage four cancer in her 30s, just as she was starting her teaching career 
and enjoying motherhood after a long season of miscarriage and infertility. Cancer unfolded everything, everything she held dear, and it pushed her to rethink her core identities and approaches to life. So maybe one of you listening today would find her words a healing balm, even if her words make you cry and cry. What resonates with me today is this idea she raises up that people in grief swear. People in grief turn to profanity because they feel the English language has reached its limit in a time of inarticulate sorrow. Kate admits that in those early months of her cancer diagnosis, profanity helped. She said, I've started swearing. I swear about cancer. I swear about dry croissants and coffee that cools too quickly. I swear about budding ulcers in my mouth from chemotherapy. I swear about the refugee crisis in Europe. I swear before and after test results. I swear about Curious George whining to the man in the yellow hat. You get it, she swears, she swears. She needs a release. Profanity was her survival strategy as she awaited hope. Now, Paul Anthony Jones, on the other hand, tries to supply us with words, words like respair as a strategy for hope. But maybe we can't jump there quite yet, right? Maybe we need a word for the sadness sparked by loneliness and solitude. Maybe we need a word for our lethargic downheartedness. Maybe we need a word for physical sickness that we feel in our gut when the emotional roller coaster is too fast. Maybe we can't turn to a word like respair just quite yet until we have a word for that melancholic mixture of hope and sorrow that comes when we log on to Zoom one more time and feel real true gratitude for this electronic connection and real ache for that in-person connection. We need words for what we miss and what we lack. Like, do you miss that cathartic cry that can happen when you sing your heart out at a live concert or even here in our sanctuary? We need words that can help us sort out the raw emotions of this pandemic alongside the raw emotions of everything else that happened in the last year. And yet, as Kate Bowler suggests, the English language has reached its limit in a time of inarticulate sorrow. Words can't save us. And that, I think, is where Jesus is in today's gospel story. By the end, he falls silent. He talks and talks and talks about the sorrow ahead, and then he retreats into despair. He knows his life is in danger. He knows they're plotting to kill him. It's no secret. They probably took out an ad in the New York Times and the Wall Street Journal and the Chicago Tribune just to make sure everybody knew. Jesus knew he was going to die. And so we see Jesus' wordy exhortations screech to a halt. At the end of today's scripture passage, he just, he leaves. He doesn't take an audience with the Greeks. He doesn't even take a disciple with him. He carries his despair to a quiet place and awaits the return of hope. Jesus, the word made flesh, gives up on speaking. You know, I think we can 
consider the Gospel of John a crescendo up until this moment. Jesus' ministry builds and builds and builds each encounter in his public ministry. Another note in this cresting symphony, every voice adds a decibel to that sacred choir. Even the Greeks from hundreds of miles away join in this choir of voices echoing Jesus' message. And so in chapter 12, Jesus' voice is repeating the symphony's major themes once more, and then the sound diminishes entirely. Maybe Lisa Bond knows the right musical word for this, when the symphony just stops. And we have no insight into what happens next. Jesus hides. Did he spend his time in quiet prayer? Did he scream profanities into his pillow? Did he find that his own mother tongue, Aramaic, had also, like English, reached its limit in a time of inarticulate sorrow? We just don't know. Now, what we do know is that this passage marks a major shift in the Gospel of John. Jesus moves from that very public ministry of speech-giving and healing and travel to a private ministry where he's giving these farewell talks to his friends. He's saying goodbye. So when Jesus finally does emerge from hiding, his despair is tinged with with respair. You can hear it in what he says to his disciples. His farewell conversations are actually full of hope. He says, my peace I give to you. Do not be afraid. Trust in God. Remain in my love. These aren't messages to the crowd. These are personal, private notes of love to his disciples. He is preparing them for despair, but leaving them with hope. Something unspoken happened there in that hiddenness. It sharpened his focus. It zeroed in on what was most important. And so here's what I hear as the challenge for this text as we move into the days ahead. Each of us will need to do the same. We will need to follow Jesus into that hidden place. We will need to find our own hiding places, our own retreat and return, our own intuitive practices of tending to our inner world. Maybe you're done with being alone, with hiding in your house, with solitude, right? Maybe you're done. But in my estimation, this is a different kind of thing. We are being invited to carve out intentional time alone with God. Time in which we simply meditate or contemplate or pray. Where we stare at the blue sky or the night sky or the cloudy, rainy spring sky. In which we listen to our breath, our heartache, our heartbeat, the pain in our bodies. Mindfully aware of the presence of the divine within. We're invited to scream obscenities into our pillows to God. We're invited to journal every sorrow until our wrist hurts. We're invited to let the tears flow. Something deep within us longs for that intentional time with God. 
On New Year's Eve, when the ball dropped on 2020 and it was finally over, I was grateful. It symbolized some sort of ending, right? A kind of new beginning. And when those early March anniversaries of COVID came and went, the same thing. I was grateful. But none of those milestones flip a switch from despair to despair. These two experiences, despair and despair, will continue to circle one another in their own ways, in our everyday lives, in our collective lives, and maybe always have. But if we can learn anything from Jesus today, it's that despair is possible even when despair is nearby. We are invited to follow Jesus, to quiet the symphony, to turn inward, to immerse ourselves in a deep experiential retreat into that unbidden, ineffable presence of the divine. So take a day, take an hour, take five minutes, take 90 seconds, take whatever time you can and silence the symphony and let the divine despair grow. Amen.